All right. Well, I normally do a little intro before I do a, an interview, um, but I don't think I could have uh, done a better intro than this. Check it out. Uh, an opportunity to go back to the basics about how this country was founded, how it was structured, and, and mm -hmm. what it stands for, has stood for. Um, so in that context, if you're looking at things like democracy, or in the case of the republic, uh, you know, transparency, accountability, rule of law, um, you know, if you're, if you're a company, you want to set up in a place that has rule of law, you right. not, not ruled by law, right? So if, you know, as the country, and, and that's sort of what the population wants. The population just wants a fair chance, mm -hmm. right? It does, you know, so if you, you know, if you don't clone other systems or bring in elements of, you know, the cultural revolution or you know whatever and just be be america you know right you will win the system is fundamentally better and that's why there is such an attack this unrestricted warfare uh attack on the cores of the systems to make you stop believing in your systems with a piece in my hand Bloodshot eyes, I walk to the water for a last goodbye He begged so much, it clouded my mind One thing's clear, the man's gotta die This is Motion, and you're listening to Sage on Sage News Live See, this is it, we all use our own terminologies, right? That shape our world, which is why, which is why we can't accept we can, we can discuss ours and figure out where we overlap But we can't accept the Chinese Communist Party's terminologies um, Right so the terminology that I've been using is that sort of the, the three things, if you believe in faith, family, or freedom, Ooh. you know, Chinese, the Chinese party has no purchase on you. You know, they will, they will have to use control. They will have to, you know, threaten your children or, you know, they will, ha it'll have to be coercive uh, because you as an individual uh, have the will to, to withstand it because those are the those those are the things that identify you. That's your latitude and longitude, and you're firm in your in who you are and why you are who you are. Um, so that I mean that that's that's how I look at it because what I'm seeing, and and this is this is why I was interested particularly in what happens down the line on some of these um, logistical mm -hmm. issues that you've been talking about, is something that that. I'm starting to describe as entropic warfare, where that where China is, is trying to create a state of entropy in target countries, like for example the United States, where so so in this so entropy you know means kind of fragmentation, disorder um, of a system, uh, and that weakens the system and makes it much less able to push back against China against the party. So you mm -hmm. break down communities, you break down economies, you break down political systems, you break down the trust between individuals, and you create a, a increasing state of entropy. And uh, we saw it in the Solomon Islands. It took it took China about two years to take a country that was sort of sort of stable and push it to a state where there were riots. How, how did they do that? That justified bringing in, that justified the increasingly authoritarian government, which was aligned to the CCP, to bring in Chinese troops to put down the civil unrest for the sake of social stability. How did they do it? 
How did they do that? So this is so this is the thing. This is why mentality or understanding the psychology is important. You know, we can't in the same way. I can't understand. You know, somebody setting a dog on fire. You know, I can't understand a state de- you know, deliberately trying to destroy another society, like just destroy it. And they do it through, there's kind of multiple, multiple mechanisms, but usually what they do is I try to identify existing fault lines. So in this case, there were, there were problems with Himalaya province and Guadalcanal province and individual people. And then you just make those fault lines bigger. And then you, you know, you can use social media for it. You use there, as you mentioned, the warfare. So there are 24 different warfares in the unrestricted warfare book. You pick and choose what's going to be useful. The three standard ones are uh, media, which includes social media, lawfare, which includes things like changes to the Constitution, which is what's going on in Vanuatu now. There's an attempt to do that. Um, And psychological warfare. So there's no way you can resist the Chinese. It's inevitable anyway. So why don't you just give in and make the money while you can? You know, all, all that kind of stuff. But taking taking over like in the context of lawfare something that uh really needs to be paid more attention to and this has nothing to do with I not talk about the US context but it's, but they they don't believe in democracy and they go after electoral systems so it's what happened in Korea in the in the parliamentary elections in 2020 um was was very problematic and and it looks like what may have there, there were serious problems all the way through including potentially Huawei components in the machines that transmitted the votes to the central tabulation center. Um, and it, it's not, it, it, there, it's completely consistent with Chinese Communist Party behavior to, if it can, create a system where it has elite capture and their elites are in power. And if they can't get their elites into power to create enough chaos or entropy in the country so that their chosen proxies have comparative power over a disintegrated system. Okay. So when they started with the Solomon Islands, what was their, what was their starting point? Like what was their trigger? Yeah. So they bought up, uh, they bought up a lot of the uh, elite around things like logging. Um, And the logging is, is pretty horrific. It's, it's obviously in, environmentally incredibly destructive but the loggers there's their uh, alleged incidences of rapes in the communities the chinese workers who bring it who get brought in and we've seen this in many other places bring in uh drugs prostitution gambling very socially corrosive they'll find fringe elements within the host society and then uh, use them to attack each other so their cases in tonga for example where uh you know two chinese family two chinese businesses might be fighting and then they'll, they'll hire a Tongan to do, to do an arson attack on the other one, you know, and you start to see this corrosiveness spread throughout the system. The Chinese embassy doesn't help with any background checks. It protects its own. Again, we saw this in Tonga. There was Tonga's first human trafficking case was a Chinese woman who brought in two other Chinese women, forced them into prostitution to serve the Chinese community. Um, Why logging? Why logging? Well, it, it's whatever that country has to offer. Is that their main? Is logging one of their main things? Uh, it's it's one of the things that the Chinese can make a quick buck on very easily. It has beautiful, some beautiful and pristine forests. Um, and 
they have been traditionally protected. Um, but if you buy off the right people and through lawfare, you've bought up the people who might prosecute you, you can just go in and clear cut it, right? Who's going to say no? If you've got the prime minister and the prime minister is beholden to you for his personal security because the population hates him because you're letting the Chinese come in and clear cut and rape and take over the commercial sector, you know, then who are you going to appeal to? Right. This is the thing. If you're an individual Solomon Islander and you don't like what's going on, the police are get, currently they're getting trained by the Australians, but they're also getting trained by the Chinese. So you can walk into a police station to complain about the local Chinese who's raped your daughter and stolen your land. And that police officer might have been trained by a Chinese police officer and reports to a prime minister who has been bought up by the Chinese. So, so yeah, so I'm giving you one example, but it, it goes throughout the entire casinos. They do a lot through casinos, bribery, gambling, coercion. This was, you know, it, when, I don't know if you, if you followed this, but in June, 2020, the, uh, the Chinese, the PLA uh, ambushed and uh, uh, the Indian oh, soldiers. Uh, in 20 Indian soldiers. That's right. 20 Indian soldiers died uh, and more PLA soldiers died. They haven't admitted how many, but the first thing within two weeks that the Indians did in retaliation was ban 59 Chinese apps, including TikTok and WeChat. Now, the reason was, uh, first of all, they were harvesting the metadata for, to refine AI systems, right. uh, but they're also using it for surveillance and monitoring coercion and blackmail and uh, intellectual property theft and, um, uh, competition advantages and just any any way they could because remember according to the uh, 2017 national intelligence law in China every individual every Chinese citizen and company has to help the Chinese intelligence service that's the law right so that's, that's yep yeah so if you if you uh, and TikTok isn't just passive right it can it can direct you in certain ways. And if your goal is social entropy, then, you know, it doesn't care whether you like ice cream or don't like ice cream, as long as you're fighting with the person who thinks the opposite. Right, right, right. So it pushes you to these more extreme ice cream positions so that I scream and you scream and you're all screaming at each other. And then you don't even have to, you know, the Chinese can you, you create this social and political division that makes it more easy, as we saw in the Solomons, for the Chinese uh, position to be in control. So, so, I mean, I can do logging, you can see, but at the same time, there's there is this mass customized manipulation that happens in large part through social media that, and through traditional media. I can, you know, we can name which journalists in the Solomons have been bought by the Chinese. You can see by the coverage, you know, and, and there are all this, all these other elements to it as well. It's, it's any, any way you can imagine a parasite moving into a system and slowly mm -hmm. taking it. It'll it'll do it if it can, uh, and they did it quickly. Yeah, and they did that here. Like I said, another thing I story did, it, it, and, and the reason I asked logging is um, here food exports are a major one of the major things. Like people say this all the time that they're worried about. You know, we're all going to run out of food, and we need to do food. And I'm like, if the United States run out of food, everybody else is toast because we've got you know we've got a lot of it, right? So third worlds are already gone, or, you know. But some of the stuff that the Chinese is doing here. 
is buying into our food industries, buying into Smithfield, buying into um, agriculture, buying into fertilizers. Um, well, that, that's why, and that's why I ask you who is what was who is observing the cost of the lost food and what was happening to the farms, because you know if they if that if that means that people have to start selling their farms, then uh, you know that's kind of an added bonus if you're in the business of buying a farmland. Right. And that's one of the things like um, we're actually down 20 percent farmland and I'll, I'll I can pull the numbers for you because that's actually a good thing I want to look into. But it is um, even to the fact that, well, you probably know that they're putting a fertilizer in, in North Dakota right next to a uh, military base right next to the airfield. You know, you heard about that, probably the, the, the uh, Air Force base in North Dakota grand folks so even the stuff that they are buying and they are coming in here they're going into our strengths right and and that's something that when you mentioned law that's why i said is logging one of their strengths is that one of their things because it's that that type of um divide that seems like something they would do they would come in and say hey if this is your strength we want in and they, you know, that's where they would attack first. Um, but, and this is where logistics, it was, a, it, in 2015, the report was out and it said we, it, we were weak here. And if this happens, 2019, 2020, it happened, right? Now, I'm not saying that there, that was the cause, but here it is that it was something that somebody said we should look into this because somebody probably thought, hey, this is going to potential problem here, uh, right? You know, either some, a think tank or something said, hey, you guys could have a problem, Um and nothing was kind of done and, and everybody kind of passed the buck and then something did happen. And now we're experiencing it and it just seems I'll have to go. I'm going to go back and find when they closed it. Um, the video I did, cause I, I remember I, I, I did a video about, Hey, we did this next thing, you know, this is closed. Now, if this happens again, <laughs> I'm going to start to, you know, keep this, it's, you know, once shame on me twice, you know, or, you know, shame on you type situation. Shame on me. Right. Yeah. So I'm looking at, um, the 24 warfares. Yeah. Cause uh, I have, look, it's over there. Yeah. And I, you know, I would be, so, you know, this is again, you know, this is 1999. So they're not, they had financial trade resources, economic regulatory sanctions. You know, they, I, I'm, you know, they, I don't know how actively they were gaming it, but it was certainly, you know, we didn't need to tell them our weaknesses. They've been pushing our weaknesses pushing for looking for a weakness for a long time. And, and one of the ways you know that is through, do you know the term comprehensive national power? Um, the concept of, of comprehensive national power is a concept that is, it's an open concept that's across Chinese think tanks. And mm -hmm. the idea is for China to be number one in the world in terms of comprehensive national power. So when people ask what is what's China want, I mean, you quite rightly specified what does the Chinese Communist Party want. Obviously, the Chinese Communist Party first wants to stay in power, but second, what it wants is uh, to be number one in the world in terms of comprehensive national power, and it is an empirical metric because this is this is fundamentally important for understanding okay. uh, China or the Chinese Communist Party. So it wants to be number one in terms of comprehensive national power. This is it's a term that you hear in the think tanks, and it is an empirical metric. It has a numerical value. They they ascribe different numerical values to different countries' comprehensive national power. 
So I don't know what the ranges are, but, you know, it might be China's 556 and the U.S. is 732 and Canada's one. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, okay. uh, well, so it's, it's 1.3, basically. Go ahead. That's a generous exchange rate. I appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. Um, so, um, but what goes into calculating that number is a, is a whole series of, of metrics that you know, the things that you would think of generally like military power, economic power, but also things that might not seem uh, so obvious. Like uh, for example, you know, if, if you have access, unrestricted access to another country's natural resources, like China has unrestricted access to logging in the Solomons, Solomons, their logs count for China's comprehensive national power, not Solomon's comprehensive national power. Okay? Um, and the goal, so the goal is very much to use the warfares from unrestricted warfare in order to create an environment in which China is number one in the world in terms of comprehensive national power. Gotcha. Okay. So there are two ways of, of in, improving your relative comprehensive national power. One is you get better, which is kind of the typical American way. You outcompete the other right. guy. The other is you knock out the other guy. The other is, you know, you, you make things worse for the other guy. And then in a relative sense, your position improves. Okay. So, so, that's, so a lot of stuff that they're doing in regards to this is they, they're not really going to third worlds. They seem to be going to like second world. Like, so they're going to places, well, Mexico, they did go to them, uh, Brazil, and, and they try to get influence there. Is that what you're kind of so, saying? So, yeah. So first of all, I'm not sure those definitions apply anymore. Like, uh, you know, the economies are, are very complex now. And also they will go anywhere. They, you know, and absolutely anywhere. They'll go to Antarctic if it, you know, if it helps. And they do. In fact, they are trying to position themselves in Antarctica in terms of, uh, you know, they, they even want to change the treaty so that they can access the resources there. It's, it is anything that feeds into that comprehensive national power number and improves its position globally. And, the, and you know, some tools might work well in the U.S., different tools might work well in the Solomons, different tools might work well in the U.K. You know, there is this whole toolkit that they can use to build themselves up and kneecap the other guy. But it's, it's in that context that, that you can understand in what happened, for example, around, like say, like say, just for the sake of saying, you've got an epidemic in one of your major cities mm -hmm. and, uh, and you're not sure you're gonna be able to control it. So you block internal flights out of a city that, I don't know, starts with a W but you allow international flights, you know, so that okay, so that your epidemic becomes a pandemic, so that you're not the only one that's damaged by it. Because if you if you keep it in house, you know your comprehensive national power number will go down in a relative sense. But okay, if, but if it goes international, everybody's going to suffer. And in the four weeks or six six weeks before human to human transmission is confirmed, you can improve your relative comprehensive national power position by, oh, for example, starting to uh, aggregate PPE, um, start your research on a vaccine, start, you know, X, Y, and Z. So under that same logic, 
if one of the things your 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 GDP right your your gross national product that you're shipping out if that starts to go down because United States is starting let's say the United States allegedly this is hypothetically speaking is starting to buy things from Vietnam or from India or trying to outsource from different locations rather than what they used to just get from China rather than allow that to go down you might shut down sections of your economy to not. Is that that same understanding to not be able to let others get that good? Would that be, explain possible reasonings for some of the lockdowns? Uh, so the, lock, so the lockdowns, yeah, the lockdowns are kind of interesting because there might also be a psychological warfare component to them, as opposed to just an economic, you know. Um, but I can tell you what what they have been doing to try to um, because I, I follow the India case pretty closely is. Um, they, they will work very hard to make a country like India look like an unviable place to redirect supply chains. So that's why, for example, you had the attack on the iPhone parts manufacturing plant in Bengaluru, um, you know, which seems to have been, you know, the, it was a, the union, which was a communist union. And even though it was a Taiwanese plant, the managers were mainland Chinese. And within hours of the plant being attacked because of, unresolved labor issues, which they may very well have let become mm-hmm. unresolved. Mm-hmm. The images of the destroyed plant were sent out far and wide over social media with the implicit message being, don't set up your factories in India. Their crazy unions will destroy them. Okay. That, that is very consistent with trying to uh, knock out uh, competitors position in the context of conference of national power and and just basic economics and unrestricted warfare right that's interesting that is also also, yeah they also i mean there was a whole series of attacks in india they they attacked the mumbai electrical grid Um, that that was hacked i saw that on the um uh i can't remember the website actually i downloaded that i was just about to read that but yeah go ahead yeah yeah i mean in, in the country that's that's put up the biggest the most effective political warfare fight against China has been India. You know, India, they, they, and you saw, you know, I mean, as I mentioned ban, they banned the apps. They started mm-hmm. to roll up the spy networks. They blocked FDI in a lot of different sectors. Um, they, uh, when the, when the Mumbai attack happened, they let people know it was China. When the iPhone parts uh, plant was attacked, they let people know it was China or probably linked to China. You know, um, and not only that, but they've been helping neighbors try to fight back Chinese influence, like in the Maldives. And now they're trying with Sri Lanka. So let me. Yeah, go ahead. Yes, there's two real quick. In regards to to India, um, I see obviously they're buying Russian oil because it's cheap, right? Cheap right now. Um, And they they buy weapons from Russia. So they have that relationship. But if it comes down to it and we haven't let's just say it gets to the point of an axe axes separation word pick sides which road are they going do you, in your opinion obviously there's no way for you to know um for sure well if it's if if it's against china they're all in what if it so but if we go get if russia and china are teaming up where does india so the the because it's a hard one i would think you yeah, know well, so it's yeah so it's it's you know we've Things have become the the narrative has become extremely binary, 
And the framing of India has been affected by anti various anti-India lobbies in the US, which you know are are again, some of them heavily Chinese funded because they want to create a rift between the US and India, because that's a relationship that could be, you know, a big problem for China, as well as the Wahhabi lobby, which also wants to try to kneecap India as a pluralistic uh, location, which has the second largest number of Muslims in the world. Right. Including in key, in key sectors like the, the entry, Bollywood, you know, a lot of Bollywood is Muslim. And so it gives a whole other way of, of you know, of living that faith. And that's not a ideal example for Taliban types. Um, mm-hmm. So um, just to be very clear, the Indians have said over and over, not good to invade a neighboring country. We do not like it that Russia invaded right. Ukraine. You know, this do not approve. <laughs> you know, Danger Will Robinson. Danger Will Robinson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is not, not a good thing. Um, so that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, then now, then it starts to get more complicated. Um, and if we start to go after, you know, in that they're in the, who's buying Russian fossil fuels. I mean, the first two months after the invasion, the U.S. was buying more fossil fuels from Russia than India was. And Europe is buying way, way more than India is, right? Now, the the military purchases is a problem. But another, this is a, gonna pull your map up again? Yep, hang on one sec, because I was just having an issue with cutting out. So I just cut, let me cut this in here. And I restarted it real quick. And we're going to go share screen. And we're going to click on this. Share. Boom. All right. So let me back out of here. Don't show this again. Turn that off. So let's go to India. Let's go to India. And we can can get rid of the... uh, Get rid of my ships. Yeah, I I like them. But just for the sake of this discussion. At this point. All right. So we are here. Because we're... Yeah, we're going to go to land. If you can pull out a little bit. Okay. So, um, right. So, uh, yeah, kind of to the Afghanistani area. Okay. So if you, so look at, so if you're India, okay, you have two very serious threats, land threats. One is China and one is Pakistan, obviously. And and the U.S. left $80 billion worth of weapons in Afghanistan. (laughs) Many, many, including databases Full of, I mean, they, you know, the, the Taliban are going door to door killing people who are on U.S. databases for having worked with the Americans. Okay, so if you want to talk about who's a good ally, you know, we, you know, we, we need to broaden the discussion. And those those weapons that the U.S. have left behind have already shown up uh, in Kashmir and are and are being used against Indian soldiers. Let me ask this. And I, just real quick, I'll jump in. You do you obviously normally things are left, but we blow them up. They're inoperable, right? Yeah. Can't take them all out. You blow them up. I've talked to many people who have done it before who have left and they become toast, right? Yeah. Do you think they were left operable, thinking that when we pulled out, 
that the Taliban might have a way to defend themselves from China, who was now going to want to come in there if China overstepped. Now, China was coming in and they weren't coming in heavy handedly. They were already working with the Taliban. They were the first one of the first ones to say, hey, we will we'll recognize them. Because China said, we'll recognize them. And the next day, the U.S. is like, well, fine, we'll recognize them, too. Do you think that that's any possibility that they were possibly left? Because at least they then had some way to fight against China. Or do you think it was just. I don't I don't don't think that the Taliban were going to fight against China. I mean, they're different Taliban. But I, I don't I don't think if that was the expectation, I don't think that was a realistic expectation. And if that was the case, then I would have liked to have seen the weapons left with with people, for example, in Panjshir, who are at fight, who are fighting both the Taliban and the Chinese. Okay. You know, like there were, you know, there were, and you blow up Bagram because the Taliban don't have an air force and China does, and now they've got an air base. You know, okay. so you know, so um, uh, there may there. I don't know. I don't know the logic that went into it, given the data points that I have, many of which I've just mentioned. That particular thing doesn't doesn't make sense. If it was. It was a dumb idea. But if if, if it was, oh, it's, it's not. It's not. They're not. You, you, you build, you cooperatively put together data points and then try to connect the dots as best you can. That's all anybody can, can be expected to do. So um, that, you know, that's that. So I'm just explaining sort of mentally what. what Absolutely. I just, yeah. So I don't, uh, I don't know why this stuff was left behind. I don't have enough information to, to, to even guess. But got it. the point is, that we're getting to Russia. The point is that if you're, you're India, right, and uh, you have uh, two big problems. You have one problem is China. One problem is, is radical, right. radicalism. Um, during that Galwan crisis we talked about in June 2020, um, the Russians were delivering two to three plane loads of weapons a day weapons and spare parts a day to support the Indians during that standoff. The U.S. delivered, from what I've heard, maybe two or three planes towards the end in total. One of them, I think, which came after the thing was was over. Second, um, in terms of a place like Afghanistan, the, uh, the Russians t- typically are anti-Wahhabi. You know, they they tended not to be huge fans of the Taliban um, and they uh, uh, are potentially reasonable allies, particularly through Central, the Central Asian republics to try to contain the threat, if nothing else. Um, none of these are good, you know, none of, this is not an ideal world at all. Just explaining uh, what I hear from the Indian strategists when they try to explain why you know, completely cutting off all relations with Russia would have a very severe um, and immediate security um, threat impact for their country. Um, you know, if the if they if the Russians flip to China completely, mm-hmm. and and this is what happened in 1962. 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis. The Soviets were, the Soviets basically were in a position where they could give the go-ahead to the Chinese to invade India, at least initially, because they were caught up in the Soviet missile crisis. Right. 
and okay. try and invade it, you know, and then the Indians had to push them back. They don't, whereas in 1971, uh, when Bangladesh was in the process of going independent and India was back in Bangladesh, the U.S. drove the Seventh Fleet up into the Bay of Bengal and the Soviets came and shadowed the fleet, basically saying, you, you, you try to back Pakistan on this at the, you know, or involve China, then we will back Bangladesh and India on it, right? Mm -hmm. So the, 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 they ha they're coming from a very different uh, strategic reality. You, you need to look at their map and, and look at not a mythical history, but an actual strategic recent history. Additionally, during the Cold War, countries that were non-aligned, and of course they weren't really non-aligned, they were more, <laughs> you know, um, and, and India was one of them, would send young military officers to go train in the Soviet Union. Now, that was uh, 30 years ago, ended around 30 years ago. So if you were in your early 20s, you're in your mid to late 50s now, mm -hmm. uh, which and if you're still in the military, you're pretty high ranking. So many of the high ranking officers around the world who, from non-aligned countries and including India would have had a very nice memory of their time as a young man, almost always young man, in the Soviet Union, you know, at the beginning of your career. Right. And and the Russians, the Soviets and the Russians are Intel superpowers. They would have kept files on all of those people and kept in touch and and made sure that kids were okay and visited them on a regular basis and created those personal relationships over over decades. Which you know the U.S. unfortunately hasn't been great at, great at doing, even though people want to come to the U.S. military academies and the follow-up hasn't been as as comprehensive. So you, we're you know we're looking at an, one event in a specific location at a specific time, Ukraine now, right? And and the Indians are looking at you know. 1947 to now and a larger a larger location larger in time larger in space um and they're making a different calculation and and also what you're saying about food and oil prices you know this is there are a lot of people in india that are just making it right you know and they are furious at the jump in oil prices and the jump in potential jump in food prices and they and there are a lot of other things that went into it you know there's a, a sense of you know and you'll you'll hear it sometimes you know this is a european war why are you, why are you dragging us into yet another european war mm -hmm. two million indians fought for the allies during world war ii you know that's often not acknowledged but you know they've they fought in european wars right. uh, yeah and um and the ukrainians unfortunately didn't equip didn't at the beginning of the war uh there were about twenty thousand indians who were uh studying in ukraine and uh, ukrainian border guards were making it very difficult for uh especially it seemed like from the footage we were seeing non-white people to leave the country mm -hmm. in, in part kind of to 
you know, to, to have human shields or to uh, get them. Anyway, the Indian government made it a priority to get out this 20,000. They sent government ministers, they sent military personnel to the countries surrounding Ukraine. Russia very cleverly made it a priority to help India get their students out. And a lot of them got out via Russia and then got home. And of those 20,000, only one died. And they died because the university told them not to leave. That if they left, they, you know, they would, you know, lose their tuition and wouldn't be able to graduate and all that stuff. So that didn't engender a lot of warmth towards the Ukrainian administration. Also, uh, India was one of the first countries to uh, recognize Ukrainian independence, but Ukraine tended not to back India at the UN. And, oh. Yeah, and complained about India's nuclear testing. Um, you know, they, but they didn't, they didn't, they, they haven't, that's kind of normal cut and thrust of geopolitics. Right. They didn't hold any of that against them, and they do consistently say, Russia bad, don't invade other countries. Uh, <laughs> right. But but given but there are all these other factors that that are going into it that um, that it, that are helpful to discuss because if we're going to come together effectively around the biggest strategic threat that will persist throughout the 21st century, which is China, uh, we need to understand where we can work together and not get not allow this entropy to happen between allies, not allow ourselves to be fragmented and pushed apart um, without first fully understanding the other's point. We can disagree after that, um, but at least let's, let's understand why they're making, let's assume they're rational actors, try to understand first, apply some strategic empathy, and then decide whether or not uh, we want to um, say, you know, we, we, we're not part of you or you're not part of us. So the Chinese have been, so you, so the background to the Sri Lanka situation is very similar to the Solomon's one where you get this creation of entropy within the country. So they took out some uh, big Chinese loans. There was uh, alleged corruption. Uh, they uh, were forced to hand over the lease of this port to a Chinese management company. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they, their economy was devastated during COVID. They, they uh, a lot of the tourism sector dried up and they, and, and then we have these Ukraine linked plus speculation linked spikes in oil and, and food prices. Mm -hmm. And you had a country that was already weakened by China quite deliberately so that China could exert control over what you see is a very strategic location. Yeah, and, and this is the issue too is that, and another thing China does, just so you know real quick, is China, when China comes in and takes your port, but they also come in, they'll say, hey, we want to be a part of your port because two terminals um, until 2017 in, in Los Angeles. Well, a lot of things that they'll do in some of these other ports is they'll say, hey, our container ships seem to, they have the exact same draft as our, their military vessels. So they'll come in and say, hey, we want to dredge your your port so we can bring in our larger container ships. And now that port's been dredged to be able to handle all of their military vessels. Right. It just so happens that they have the same draft. So 
once they were to come into here, a big fear is like the U.S. Navy. Mostly what the U.S. Navy does now is freedom of navigation. They go out there. I mean, that's a big part of the U.S. Navy's job now is freedom of navigation. But if you come into this port and you have Navy vessels here, you don't have to stop this. You just make this your easy Z low, your, your territory, your international, you know, your t- uh, waters. You can slow the flow down, which is just as bad as stopping, right? By slowing it down and sending it, slowing it down and sending it, you get those bullwhip effects. So it's a big deal. This is a big deal if China takes this port because of the, the amount of traffic that goes yeah. just around this area. So, so, in, so India is uh, working very hard to try to stabilize that, go- that country, uh, you know, including through um, lo- loans, but, you know, kind of at, at very concessionary rates. And uh, I think they're actually also talking about exporting food, which, which is something that they need also. But they, they understand this comprehensive warfare push and how uh, how Chinese political warfare works, and if you if you look over to the west, you see the Maldives, uh, that chain of islands, the Maldives. Right here. So uh, so Chinese proxies, yeah, uh, got control for a little while in the Maldives, and India helped push back and semi liberate the Maldives from from China, from the Chinese grasp. And now they're trying to do it in Sri Lanka with very little fanfare in the Western press. You know, they are actively so the, the front line now, as you very clear for China is political warfare, unrestricted warfare, which includes political warfare. Right. And, and, this is- and, the, and the country that is fighting that most effectively, if there's another one that's better, I'd, I'd really like to know about it because I'd like to learn how they do it, is India. So, you know, we're yeah. complaining, you know, that, that they're not fighting in the way we want Russia. Uh, but I kind of wish we, we would also fight China the way that India is fighting China. Now, how... Now I know why, because they bordered them. But why is it? Why aren't we doing things like back uh, turning off TikTok? Why aren't we doing? I mean, I, I know that's an example that was mentioned, but at no, what- no, it's a good, it's a, so it's a good example because you know they the previous U.S. administration tried. So right. so yeah, and um, and uh, lawfare, my friend. So a, a grassroots group of WeChat users popped up out of nowhere and said in the U.S. and said it was an infringement of their First Amendment rights and uh, brought it to court and uh, tied it up. Uh, and then the administration changed. And then the new administration, the current U.S. administration, settled with them and paid their legal fees. Wow, that is... Uh... That is good to know. I, that part I did not know. I knew it, we they tried and it didn't go through, but I, I didn't know that they paid their legal fees. Uh, that's interesting to know. Well, how do we that? I mean, obviously, we are a ally of India, correct? They would consider us an ally or what would they consider us? So, the, the, you know, 
everybody, everybody's so touchy about words, right? This is kind of the theme of, of our discussion is words, right? Uh, uh, I think technically partner, but uh, the um, U.S. and India have signed a lot of very important military agreements, including information intelligence sharing agreements uh, under the previous administration, and of course, Quad. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a very important relationship, partnership for both countries. Yeah, so I, I don't know why we wouldn't back them more than, not that we don't back them, but uh, extend that same stuff that they're doing and saying, well, you know, we also are going to do this in regards to, and here's my thing. Maybe I'm wrong. We can't, because I remember during the meeting, um, they said, how did India feel about this? And I know we we were upset, let's say, that we, they're buying in, in uh, oil from stuff like that. But it's like, if we don't back them, why, how, who are we to say stop buying their oil? Well, you didn't back us with this when this stuff happened to us, right? Am I, I mean, it just seems, I look at this a lot, maybe I'm wrong, but we seem to be losing leverage in global politics. The United States seems to be losing all of its leverage points. Like at one point, we had a lot of, you mean it's comprehensive national power? It's comprehensive national power. We're losing our IQ points, um, basically. And it, it, militarily, the world has changed, right? So at one point, we were definitely the dominating force for kinetic. But most wars are now, they're, by the, if they go kinetic, you've already gone through all these other phases of warfare, cyber, um, and you know all these other things. Um, at, at other points, it was uh, our intellectual property. Well, China's stolen a lot of our intellectual property, and they're reverse engineering it. Well, or now it's pharmaceutical dominance. Well, China, you know, is also doing pharmaceutical dominance and they're beating us there. I don't see us catching up to keeping our IQ points, uh, you know, in, in regards to us, uh, us winning this. A am I wrong? To, I mean, they are definitely a dominating force of getting more points than us in this game. And we're having a hard time keeping up. So they've done a lot of damage, but um, but our system is better. Uh, no, our system is better, but in regards to like technology and not giving them our intellectual property and not just, it's like so, they. So I think, I mean, I, I, it's worth being precise about our system. And, you know, our, you know, elements of our system include, and I, I mean, I, I'm Canadian, eh? So I'm talking in the broader sense of our. Yeah, you're uh, close. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I've spent the last two years in the U.S. to a large degree. And I've, I've it's, been a, it's been really interesting because I've learned a lot about the U.S. system. It's been a period when, you know, the issue of states' rights has come up again and um, mm -hmm. founding documents have come up again. And, like, it's, it's been a, uh, an opportunity to go back to the basics about, how this country was founded, how it was structured, and, and mm -hmm. what it stands for, has stood for. Um, so in that context, if you're looking at things like democracy, or in the case of a republic, uh, you know, transparency, accountability, rule of law, um, you know, if you're, if you're a company, you want to set up in a place that has rule of law. You right. do not 
not ruled by law, right? So if, you know, as the country, and, and that's sort of what the population wants. The population just wants a fair chance, mm-hmm. right? It does, you know, so if you, you know, if you don't clone other systems or bring in elements of, you know, the cultural revolution or, you know, whatever, and just be, be America, you know, right. You will win. The system is fundamentally better. And that's why there is such an attack, this unrestricted warfare uh, attack on the cores of the systems to make you stop believing in your systems. You know, this, this complete three warfare, psychological media, lawfare attacks on the basis of the United States you know, if there are some uh, elements of it that are that are valid, you're striving towards a more perfect union. It isn't perfect. You have to continue to improve. But like in the Solomons, you know, if uh, external forces, malign forces identify those uh, infections, little infections, then pour poison on it in an attempt to kill the whole system, then you've got a problem as opposed to with care and attention curing the infection yourself and coming out of it stronger. So identifying, you know, what are the real issues and dealing with those and trying to cut away uh, these external malign influences that are designed to kill you, literally kill the U.S. system, is fundamental to get through this. There's nothing... You know, there, there's nothing that the U.S. system as designed is self-correcting and self-improving, right? And you build it. You, you, that's not gone. That's still there. And as long as that's still there and as long as people are, are, are working towards it and appreciating it and understanding it, and that, that starts with things as basic as civics classes at school. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know when, when people join the military now, Always, you swear an oath to the Constitution. Correct. You should have had to have read the Constitution. I don't know how many people swearing that oath now have read the, the Constitution. Good point. Yeah. So you know, it is this. This it is a it is a war. It's a war of systems. The American system is better. Right. The question is, you know, how do you protect, preserve, promote, and strengthen that system so that it's much more able to withstand the sort of attacks that currently is coming from China, but will always come from somebody because uh, that's that's the way the world works. It was the Soviets, now it's the Chinese. The, the communist ideology will spread and metastasize. The attacks will be there. But if you, if, if you fight as an individual, as a community, as a country to strengthen yourselves, to be yourselves, you can withstand it. You have before. Right. And our first step. That's, that's an extremely important. This is going to be cut right here. I'm just letting you know that. That's a brilliant statement, what you just said there. This is going to be and, – and – you're right. It, it, it is. That's what they're attacking. And they're attacking that because that has to be broken first. 
Yeah. Because with that, you can't break the people, right? Because as long as you have that, you can't break the people. But without that, you can easily break the people. Yeah, with you create that. you create entropy in the system and the people are unprotected. Correct. Yeah. And in which we seek in our lives, we seek, you know, we seek protection. We seek survival. We seek that as, as humans. Security. Security. Remember Security. Back, that's, that's so you just want to feel okay. You know, and fundamentally we're pack animals. So yeah. usually if it's a healthy society, you know, you, your, your security comes from being in your pack, in your community. Right. It's not tribal or ethnic. It can be whatever. It can be religious. It can be, you know, your the choir you attend, it can be, you know, the biking group you go to, it can be the military unit you join, mm -hmm. you know, it's just the way we are. But like I said, like you said, they, that's the system they're going to break first. And they are definitely trying to, yep. it's true. It, that's their goal through uh, the ticks and the talks and, and, you know, everything else that they're doing is, is legitimately what they have to break first. Cause you can't, like you said, you know, earlier, you can't break the person that believes, let's say, in, in faith and, and family first. You got to you got to break the family before you could break divide that person. Yeah. And so you want to talk about opium wars. Take a look at fentanyl. What breaks a family quicker than somebody who's you know addicted and despairing and, you know, and the family around them who love them so much and, you know, will do whatever they can to just to, to try to pull them back from the brink. You know, fentanyl is, if the Chinese wanted to turn off the flow, the precursors to fentanyl, they could. There's no question. Oh, they without do. doubt. Yeah, they want to destroy American community. And drug warfare was one of the unrestricted warfares. All right. So if you like what you heard here and you want to make sure you can stay up to date, make sure you check out sagenewslive.com. That's my website. It's also going to be where you're going to find where I'm also at. Uh, podcast, Spotify, a Apple, um, Twitch, Vimeo, all these other places, not just on YouTube. So if you're looking to listen to me on podcast or anything else, you can go ahead and hit up the website. Also, upcoming streams, things I'm going to be having. And if you're looking for factoring for under 2% with one of the best factoring companies out there, definitely check me out on uh, my website. Go ahead and shoot me a text or email me about the information. I'll reach out and get you hooked up like a tow truck. As always, stay safe, stay out.